All right, so we have been in the series and we've been looking at the not commands of Jesus, meaning Jesus would say, do not. Do not worry. Do not sin. Do not, as Jay mentioned, do not fear. Prior to the resurrection, these not commands, they were, they were extremely difficult to imagine or to carry out because of what Jesus asked them to do. But once his followers saw Jesus alive again, resurrected, and once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, these believers, they lived out the not commands as an actual way of life. The knots became automatic in their life. And as a result, the church, these disciples, eventually changed the world. And that's what can happen for you and I today. If you and I will choose to live out the not commands of Jesus, we too can be transformed, and then we can change the world as well. Now, today's not command is the most popular one of, for those who don't actually follow Jesus. Okay, this is the most popular one. It's the one we're the most often accused as Christians of violating. It's one of the big reasons that some people even, and I'll use this word, even hate Christians. And I guarantee you, it is the one that is the most understood by non-Christians, but especially by Christians. Here it is, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Let's say the word together. We'll put it up on the screen. Do not, do not, look at the person next to you and say, don't judge me. (laughs) Judge not, thou shall not judge. That's what Jesus said. In other words, don't, thou shall not size me up and write me off, right? Thou shall not look at me and have a bad attitude about me. Thou shalt not look at me and hear what I say or or see what I wear or see who I've been out with or see what's on my body. Thou shalt not size me up and write me off. Let's be real for a minute. Nobody here wants to be judged, right? I mean, you don't want anybody judging you and you don't like to hear if somebody's been judged. In fact, I, I would say this, right? If you hear that someone has been judged, are, are, don't you find that people are quick to defend them? Isn't that kind of true? In fact, we'll even judge someone or we'll even defend somebody who's been judged, even if actually they should have been judged and the, they were right, but we're just like, we don't want anybody to be judged, so we're coming to the rescue of that person. Here's the question to think about. Why do religious people or people of faith, why do they tend to be judgmental? I mean, we should be the least judgmental of all people. Why do Christians, why do Jews, why do uh, Muslims, why do conservatives of any religion tend to have too many judgmental bones in their body? Why is that? Well, there's probably a few reasons. Let me just share a couple with you. One one of the reasons I think that we judge is because sometimes we're jealous. Sometimes we're jealous. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Pastor Craig Grishel uh, said something once that really grabbed me. He said this. He said, if sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. Right? I mean, if sin isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. He's referencing Hebrews 11.25, which mentions how sin is fun. It's pleasurable. It's enjoyable at the time. And that's why we do it. So when we see people having what we think is a good time, We think to ourselves, I'm not having fun being a good person, a good religious person. I'm not having fun being a good Jesus follower. 
But man, I look at them and they're having a blast, enjoying their life, doing whatever they want. Well, I have to sit here and, you know, be kind of like righteous and be holy. And you're, so you're thinking about all your good time buddies, right? And you're thinking, I got a flash for you, joy boys. Party time is over. The wrath of God is coming on you. So we can get judgmental, even giddy over their eternal destination because we're in fact jealous. Back in 2011, a a Christian guy by the name of Rob Bell wrote a book and he was trying to make an argument that there might not be a hell. Some of you, if you got into that or focused on that, you might have read it or, or, or heard about it. It created a huge firestorm of controversy. Now I gotta tell you, I sure hope he's right. Don't you? To which some of you just said, whoa, 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 what are you saying, pastor? You've always told us to believe in the scriptures and the trueness and the authority of scripture. And the Bible clearly tells us there is a hell. How can you say that, pastor? I'm leaving. I'm getting out of my seat the second I can. I'm leaving. Knowing what hell is all about, don't you hope he's right? I mean, don't you? I didn't say he is right, but don't you hope he's right? Theologian N.T. Wright once said this. He said, hell is shocking and horrifying. Think about people you know. I'm sure some people, if we truly hold to a theology of hell that you know are going there, that should give us pause. He didn't say it should cause us to judge them, N.T. Wright then went on and said this, that should cause us to pray for them and to weep for them. But there are some Christians, it, it seems like they enjoy the fact that there's a hell. That they enjoy the fact that, that, you know, they actually enjoy it a little too much. And part of it is they think that people are getting away with their sin, getting to enjoy sin, and, you know, getting to have the, you know, the pleasures of sin and not having to pay for the consequences. And so we get judgmental because we're a little bit jealous over what we perceive as them having fun, and maybe we're not. There's a second reason people judge, and that's we're just too self-righteous. We're just too self-righteous. Now, i got to tell you, what I'm going to say right now is a little bit harsh, and I recognize it, but it is a reality. Self-righteousness is ignorant and it's arrogant. It's ignorant and it's arrogant. Here's what I mean. Self-righteous people compare themselves to others while putting God in their own little ethical construct, their own little box as it pertains to their own behavior. And then they look at others and it's like, oh, well, I would never do that. I can't believe they did that. Oh my goodness, they actually believe that? So for some, it's easy to judge others while they sort of have God tamed and in their own God-created box where they, you know, because it's their God-created box, it looks like in their mind they have it all together with God. In other words, what the self-righteous do is they dumb down God's holiness as it pertains to their own life so that they can reach a goal that they've created, thereby elevating their own self-righteousness compared to others. And that's why it's ignorant. And that's why it's arrogant. And consequently, a huge problem for the self-righteous is that they are very rarely self-aware. They're others-aware, but very rarely self-aware. 
The bottom line is this. Religious people can be judgmental. They can lean into it a bit too much, which is why Jesus' command, judge not, it's so important for you and I to talk about, for you and I to figure out in our own lives. Now, judge not is actually only part of what Jesus said. I'd like you to turn there, if you haven't already, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. If you're using your phone, you can go to the YouVersion Bible apps, go into the bottom right corner to more, then click on events. All of our notes are in there. You see our church and all of our notes in there. encourage you to do that. What Jesus said when he said, judge not, is only the beginning of the conversation. So let's look at the rest of the conversation. Let's look at verse 1 again. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge. Basically saying, thou shalt not criticize me, compare me to to others or to to anybody. Do not confront me about anything, period. Except, look at your passage there. There wasn't a period. There was a comma. I mean, I guess technically in the original language, not a period or a comma, but the point is, we think there's a period there, but there isn't, because Jesus goes on. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. In other words, this is a warning. It's like Jesus is saying what comes around goes around. That's kind of what he's saying. Notice what he says, verse 2. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, when we judge, when we size people up, when we draw conclusions about them, that's the same standard that's going to be used against us or used on us, which of course brings us to an important question. How do you want to be judged? How is it that you want to be judged? Now, I know some of us would say, hey, I don't want to be judged at all. But since we are going to be judged, and it's going to come back to us the same way in which we are judging others, how do you want to be judged? What's the answer? Oh, I want people to have no mercy on me. Right? Is that what it is? I want people to be brutal when they judge me. I want them to have no compassion, no empathy, right? Is that what we want? No way. We want people to be merciful, compassionate, gracious on us. Isn't that what we want? Of course we do. Let me explain what I mean. When you judge me, you know what I'm hoping for? I'm hoping when you judge me that you'll take into account all of me. Isn't that what you want? That, 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 that you'll take the, uh, in account the family that I was raised in. That you'll take into account how I've been treated by others. That you would be willing to consider my fears, my insecurities, my medical issues. And so if you're going to judge me, I want you to do it with mercy, taking into account my entire story. All that I am. All that I've been through. Isn't that what you want people to do with you? Give me a head nod if that's true, right? That's what you are hoping people will do with you. Jesus goes on and he continues, verse 3. He continues and says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes? Now, by the way, you know what Jesus just confirmed there? He confirmed what you and I thought, that there is something wrong with them. Right? They, there is something, right? He even says, why do you look at the speck in their eyes? So there is something. I knew it. I knew they had issues. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the, what's the word? To the plank 
in your own eye? Remember, this is a question Jesus is asking us. Why do you look at them but pay no attention to your own stuff? Why do you look at the little thing in them when you don't pay attention to the big stuff in your life? Why do we minimize our own issues and exaggerate others? Why do we pay close attention to their issues rather than looking inside? Commentator Kent Hughes said this, We find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin, but we look at ours through the wrong end of a telescope. Why do we do that? Well, first, it's far easier to look at the sawdust in somebody else's eyes because it distracts us from the plank in our own eyes. In fact, your issues, when I look at you and I see what's going on with you, the things that you're messed up about, when I look at that and see it in you, it makes me feel better about me. I get distracted about me because I'm looking at you and your issues. Yeah, I've got issues. In fact, Jesus says they're big issues, plank size issues versus a speck for you. But when I look at yours and I focus on what's wrong in your life, it distracts me with what's going on in my life and thus it makes me feel better. There are times, number one, where we're going to get distracted by other people's sin because we don't want to look at our own sins. But there's also times when we just genuinely don't see what's in our own life. We just genuinely don't see it. It's far easier to see it in somebody else than to see it in ourselves. Remember, we say this all the time around here. It's hard to see in the mirror. And we say that all the time because that's something I want you to think about as you're thinking about others and looking at other people's lives. It's hard to see in the mirror. We struggle. We, it's easy to see, you know, the flaws, the sin, the greed, whatever it may be in other people's lives. It's just hard to see it in ourselves. So, is Je- so Jesus is saying, why do you point out other people's stuff when you have your own issues? In fact, he punctuates it with the two words we don't want to hear more than anything else. Look what he says. Matthew 7, verse 5. You what? You hypocrite. You see, you don't even want to say it out loud. Let's say it with conviction. You One more time. You You want to know what a hypocrite is by Jesus' definition, at least a part of what it is? that we thought was reserved for. Who do we think of the word hypocrite was reserved for? If you, if you read the Bible, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who do we think that word's reserved for? The Pharisees, right? We think it's reserved for them. You know, here it is. A hypocrite, according to this passage, is somebody that's more fascinated with, somebody that's more focused on what's wrong with somebody else rather than looking at what's wrong with themselves. It's somebody who's more interested in and more preoccupied with fixing somebody else than refusing to face up to what's in their own lives. So maybe what Jesus is saying, maybe the moral of the story, maybe what Jesus is trying to communicate to us in Judge Not is simply mind your own business. Right? Isn't that what he's saying here? Isn't that the moral of the story? The lesson for today is mind your own business. Lesson over. 
You let them deal with their own stuff. They can deal with their own past and all that kind of garbage and their insecurities and all the stuff we minimize in them. And I'll just look in the mirror and deal with my stuff. Everybody mind their own business. Message is over. It's early before 10. Let's pray. (laughs) Right? Now, I know that's what I would prefer. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Let's continue. In fact, this is actually when it starts to get amazing. This is when Jesus is actually going to really begin the lesson. He continues, and listen to what he says next. You hypocrite, first, and so first sounds like he's about ready to give us a list, right? First, you hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. In other words, how dare you interfere with what's going on in another person's life before you first look in the mirror and deal with whatever it is that's going on in your life. You hypocrite. Jesus is just saying, here's how it works. When I see how messed up you are, and here's the reality, you really are messed up. I mean, really, you are. And we can laugh about it and joke about it, and we do when we say that. But listen, I could have any single person in this room come up on this stage, sit on a chair, and say, pretend we're just your counselor, and be honest. It doesn't matter which person, no matter who it is. They get up here and share what's really going on in their life, their sins, insecurities, fears, the way they're damaging relationships, the way they've hurt people, whatever it is. And we'd all go, huh? That person? That leader? That person I thought? Every single one of us. Why? Because we're all messed up. To use a Bible term, we're all sinful. In fact, to use another Bible term, our goodness, our righteousness, in God's eyes, it's like filthy rags. That's our best. And so we are messed up. And so when I see how messed up you are, what Jesus is talking about, he's saying, your messed upness, if I can make up that word, your messed upness should cause me to pause, to reflect so that I can realize just how messed up I am. So because of your sin, that should cause me to stop. First, look at my own life. Deal with my own sins. And if I do that, I'll be better off. Because the, fa- the fact that you're a mess helps me become less of a mess. So I just got to thank all of you for being so jacked up. <laughs> it's helped me a ton. Jesus' lesson for us is judge not. And so when we're tempted to pass, I'll give you a little, maybe a little limerick here, a little phrase might help you. When we're tempted to pass judgment on thee, first I need to stop and check for the sin in me. When I'm tempted to pass judgment on thee, I need to first stop and look at the sin in me. And I'm going to examine me, and I'm going to work on that plank in my own eyes which means I can become a better version of me. And again, this would be awesome if this was the end of the lesson. I mean, I'm a better person now because I saw how messed up you were and it caused me to look first at myself and get unmessed up. So that's a great, another place to stop the lesson. Jesus doesn't do that. Let's never forget, 
following Jesus is never about what's in it for you. It's never about what's in it for me. Following Jesus at the end of the day is all about leveraging what God has done in me and what God has done for me for the sake of others. Is there an amen to that one? It's all about what God's doing in me, through me, for me, to make a difference in the lives of others. Because at the epicenter of Jesus' teaching is what he said in John 13, 34 and John 15, 12. He said, love one another the way I have loved you. Man, your life, my life, it's way more. It's about way more than just ourselves. It's about others. It's ultimately about going to others and loving others into the kingdom because Jesus said, as Jay mentioned, go make disciples of all the nations. And that starts with me becoming a disciple of Jesus, a Jesus follower. You see, Jesus is spinning this whole conversation around on these guys. Suddenly, everything that we thought he was going to say, everything we assumed about the Bible that says, do not judge, you don't have any right to judge me, mind your own business, suddenly, Jesus turns it all around and says, whoa, wait a minute, that's not all there is to the conversation. You see, for Jesus, everything we've talked about is getting us to a place where we can appropriately, lovingly, graciously, Approach somebody else about the stuff in their life. Don't tune out the rest of this message, church. Don't stop with what I said prior to that sentence, which is where most of us go. Jesus commands us to address our issues, but not just for our own sake, but to prepare us to help others with their issues. And that's not judgmental. That is obedience to our Savior, and to our Lord. Our self-righteousness, our jealousy, it gets in the way of love. It gets in the way of us loving the way God wants us to love. But self-awareness, it paves the way for us to live out and demonstrate the kind of love that Jesus asked us to exhibit to one another. And how did Jesus love other people? Well, as you look at it, Jesus loved other people. One of the things he did, he called people on the carpet, didn't he? He called people on the carpet. We looked at the, the, the lady a couple weeks ago, right? He said to her, go and sin no more. So he called people on the carpet, but he also did it in a loving way. And he demonstrated that love by sacrificing his life. He died for us. You know what that means? Here's what it means for us. It means that love forbids me, it forbids you from sizing other people up and writing them off. Love forbids me from sizing you up and just saying, ah, forget about them. But love also forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. It forbids me from sizing you up and walking you away. It forbids me, love, the kind of love Jesus is talking about, forgives me from sizing you up and saying, well, I'm just going to mind my own business. I'm not going to address them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going down that path. I see you're messed up more than me, and by God's grace, I'm, I'm in a better place now. I'm going to walk away from you. That's not what love calls for. Jesus says it a, a different way. He says you look at them, and then that should cause you to look inside and deal with your issues and see clearly and see that you're actually way more messed up than anybody else around you. 
but by the grace of God, here I am. And that's not judgmental. That is love. That's not judgment. That's simply obedience. So, how does this play out for us? In these last few minutes together, I want to talk about the different behaviors you and I exhibit in this area. And I think each of us lean towards one more than the other. First of all, there's those in this room this morning that size people up and you do write them off. It's the self-righteous among us. Now, we all have a little bit of it in us, but some of us more so than others. And Jesus, man, he couldn't stand the self-righteous because they were dumbing down the holiness of God in their own lives, but then they were elevating their own perceived holiness and comparing to others. And so here's my encouragement to the self-righteous. Repent of the sin of self-righteousness. Confess that the Bible says God's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive you, and he'll cleanse you of that. You're like, I don't know, maybe this is me. You know what these people oftentimes are? Not all the time, but these are some of them. They're the oftentimes the ones who, like the Pharisees, they know the Bible better than anybody else. They're the ones who look and appear more religious and more holy than others. They're the ones who think their theology is dialed in and everybody else is the heretic. They're the ones who oftentimes have been Christians the longest. They're the ones who oftentimes, if you hear their story, they haven't really done anything like super bad. It's still sin, but it's like compared to others, right? It's like, I haven't really done much. And they're the ones who oftentimes can't understand why others continue to do the bad, destructive things they're doing to themselves. So let me say it this way. If the sin of others doesn't truly break your heart, it's probably because your heart has never been broken over your own sin. In other words, when you see the sin of others, if your re- initial reaction, if it leans towards you know, judgment and, and condemnation and criticism, chances are you're just not coming face to face with your own sinfulness. Sin broke Jesus' heart. It broke his heart, and it should break our hearts as well, so repent. So times of refreshing may come. I love how Pastor Greg Laurie said it. He said, forgiven people should be forgiving people. Forgiven people should be forgiving people. Second group of us are the people who tend to size people up, but then they just walk away. They don't confront. You're not going to talk to them. You're not going to address the reason. In your mind, you say, it's none of my business. But the problem with that thinking and that behavior is that Jesus teaches us it is our business. He calls us to it. Confronting people, going to people about their stuff, it's not insensitive. It's what true love requires. It's like the old song by Johnny Nash. I can see clearly now the plank is gone. You see, you humbled yourself, right? You got to, first, first, I took the plank out of my own life. I figured out that I have my issues, and that's what you did first, so you can now see clearly the plank in your own eye. And that helps you actually see a little more clearly clearly what's going on with somebody else and how it is actually destroying them and other people. And it's our business to humbly approach a brother or sister in the Lord to have the difficult conversation because that's what love requires. It's how we leverage what God has done in our life for the benefit of somebody else. So we confront. Because you can see clearly your own plank. And you don't go in judgment. You're able to now go in love. 
And by the way, I suppose I should say it, it's not going to random people. It's to people you have a relationship with. I'm assuming we all know that. But maybe not. So glad I said it. Because after church, it's going to get interesting today. Last group of people. Those of you who have been sized up by others, but you refuse to listen. Someone has come to you and has shared with you, but you refuse to listen. You said they were being judgmental. You're like, ah, they should mind their own business. But in your heart, you knew and you know they were right. In your heart, you knew and you know that there's something to what they're saying. You know something needs to change in your life, but you couldn't receive what they said because you are being what? Does anybody know what the word is? You're being what? Someone said it. It starts with a D. You're being defensive. You know what defensiveness does? Defensiveness assures you that your past will continue to be part of your future. That's what it does. Your coping mechanism, my coping mechanism of defensiveness, I get angry, I get upset, I get hurt. I, I, you know, I think, well, you know, they have their list of issues and they have this going on and, and they've hurt me in all these ways. That defensiveness ensures us that what we have been doing is something we will continue to do in the future of our life. And you might even know what you're doing. It's killing you and killing those around you and your relationships, but you'll continue because of defensiveness. Now, real quick, by the way, when someone tries to confront you, to talk to you, to come to you, even those who are amazing at it, nobody confronts perfectly. And you're like, hey, I figured that out. Nobody does, no matter how much they've practiced it, no matter how much they thought about it, prayed about it, read books, gone to seek counseling on how to have the confrontation, no matter what, it never goes easy because it's not easy. But how many of us, when we were confronted because they didn't do it the best, we use that as an excuse to write off what it is they were coming to you about. Defensiveness, I'm offended, just assures my attitude, my behavior, why whatever is going to continue in my life, which means it will continue to determine my future. If that's you, it's time to humbly listen, to humbly take in, to humbly receive. And I would encourage you on this one, actually on probably all of them, but on this one, actually on all of them, be proactive. You're like, all right, I got it, Chris. That's mine. The next time someone comes to me, I'll be ready. No, you won't. They're not going to come to you because they can't come to you because they know you get defensive. So how about you be proactive and you go to somebody that you love, care about, and they care about you, and you go to them and you give them permission to speak truth into your life because you don't want what your past has been to keep determining your future. Let's begin, church, removing the planks in our own eyes then we'll see clearly to love others the way Jesus has invited us to love them. So what do you need to do? Do you need to repent this morning? Do you need to confront this morning? Have the difficult conversation? Or do you need to listen? What's God calling you to today? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it's uh, a difficult topic. And God, as we try to straighten this out a little bit in our lives, God, I, I know it's going to raise more questions, and I know, God, it's going to require us to even go back and to re-listen and to re-listen and to re-study your word. And I pray, God, you bring clarity to us because we want to be people who do not judge others. 
We want to address the sin in our lives and the ugliness in our lives so that we're able to be a blessing to others, to help them to have those difficult conversations and to do so humbly and lovingly, to live out our faith the way you've called us to, God. So help us to live this out. God, as we come before you now to give our offering to you, use this for your glory, for your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.